He was a morbidly obese surgeon destined for an operating table and an early death. Now he's a rebel MD who is fabulously fit and fighting to make America healthy again. This is Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Philip Ovedia. And, well, according to the little thing up there at the top, we are live. Hey, folks, it's the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. Um, We have today the greatest excuse for recording late in the history of podcasts. I got an email from Phil about an hour and a half ago that said, hey, I have to do emergency heart surgery. Is it okay if we push the podcast back an hour? And I got all pissed off and said, I can't believe he's he's postponing our podcast just to save someone's life. But But I'm understanding. So I said, yeah, sure. That's fine, Phil. So... How'd it go? Everything went well, glad to say. It just occurred to me as I asked that, that there's really only one answer to that question. Um, Hopefully. (laughs) Lost the patient. That's why I got through early. Okay. Uh, This is my 27th cup of coffee today. Can you tell? All right. Today we have, who do we have, Phil? And tell us why he's here. Well, we have uh, Ryan Muncy today, and you're you're not going to need the extra caffeine for this discussion. This discussion will give you more than enough energy. Um, I uh, met Ryan uh, a few months ago when I was uh, speaking at a uh, event, uh, Momentum in the Mountains, um, in the uh, western mountains of Virginia, and uh, Ryan was there, and. Uh, he, Brian has his own podcast and had all of the uh, speakers uh, from the event uh, on the podcast. It was uh, myself, it was Vinny Tortorich, it was Cynthia Thurlow, and it was uh, Mark Kukazella. Um, and we've had all of those people except Mark on the podcast. I was going to say, I don't recognize that name. Yeah, we're going to have to correct that soon. Mark Mark, uh, Mark can be a little shy, I guess, and uh, uh, got to get him on the podcast here soon as well. Uh, but Ryan, I'm going to say, has probably the best book title um, I've ever seen. Uh, Maybe it's second to mine, but uh, I think I'm going to give him the uh, win on this one. Um, His book is called uh, Fuck Your Feelings. And hopefully is that that how you pronounce that? I was wondering. (laughs) Hopefully that doesn't get us censored on YouTube. Uh, But uh, Ryan has an extensive history with uh, food science, nutrition, uh, personal training and uh, really elite human performance. Uh, so excited to uh, hear more about all of that. And uh, Ryan, wanted to uh, fill in a little bit of the gaps, give us some of your background and introduce yourself to the audience for us. I, I want to jump in here. I want to hear Ryan say, before he does any of that, why he thinks he's here. Well, am I not here to talk about those things that Phil just mentioned? I I don't know. I'm just wondering what you think the, the reason I mean, here is. Today is National Coffee Day. Maybe we're going to talk about 27 yeah. cups of coffee. <laughs> okay. So, so as, as Phil said, uh, my name is Ryan Muncy. Um, I've been for as long as I can remember, obsessed with and fascinated by human potential, human performance. 
Um, I, I have a degree in food science and human nutrition. That's a dietetics degree. I would be a registered dietitian if I did the internship after school. But when I was in school, uh, I, I realized very quickly that you know, the, the, if, if folks have not majored in nutrition, half of the curriculum is science-based. The other half of the curriculum is the nutrition classes. And what we were being taught in the nutrition classes did not match with what we were learning in the science classes. So you're taking biochem and metabolism and you know, all this anatomy and physiology. And then you've got a, a teacher you know, who is borderline morbidly obese saying all foods fit. There are no bad foods. If somebody, you know, you take a class called MNT, medical nutrition therapy. And so in that class, you learn how to create diets for people with specific uh, medical conditions. And obviously diabetes is one that is of great concern. And so if somebody uh, is diabetic, what we learned was that we were going to reduce carbohydrates from 60% of their calories all the way down to 50% of their calories. Uh, and I can see from Jack's reaction that yes. And so here I am, I'm sitting in the back of the class, I'm mixing up avocados in a can of tuna and everybody in the front of the class is turning around and like, man, that stinks. And so, you know, I'm, I'm the kid that, you know, I'm, I'm doing the research on my own and, and I'm listening in science class and I go in nutrition and I'm, I'm raising my hand and I'm like, well, what, what about this? And how, and, and I was not the teacher's favorite. Um, and, and so for that reason, when I finished school, I did not want to, pay to do the internship to kind of join that orthodoxy. Um, so I had an I opportunity. I commend you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it, it's, uh, you know, the other thing that really drove that decision for me was I knew then that if I went the clinical route, that I would be talking to people who really weren't interested in what I had to say. Um, you know, and I'm sure Phil and, and Jack, I'm not sure your background, maybe you can relate to this, but you know, the, the guy that has a heart attack and, and is in the hospital and, and then the RD comes in and says, okay, well, you know, we're going to take away all your fast food. We're going to do this. And, and, and the, the average person, maybe not your podcast listeners, but the average person doesn't want to make those lifestyle changes. I didn't want to feel that frustration. I didn't want to bang my head against the wall every single day for the rest of my life with that demographic. I wanted to be working with folks who were interested in and opting into uh, sort of tip of the spear, optimal performance type stuff. You know, I'm, like I said, I'm fascinated with this stuff. So the idea of someone learning a better way and then not immediately implementing it is, is so foreign to me. Uh, and so, like I said, I just, I wanted to be in that space and in that realm. And it took a while to carve out some space, uh, or a space for myself in that realm. Um, I, I did some bodybuilding type stuff, um, that led to personal training in New York. I moved back home to Roanoke, Virginia, started my own gym, looked like a CrossFit gym. It was a big warehouse style performance training facility. Wasn't CrossFit, um, wrote for some magazines that people are familiar with, um, sold in the gym in 2016, started hosting a podcast, did a couple of kind of consulting relationship work with some startups in the supplement and biohacking space, still in that kind of health and wellness and optimal performance optimization, uh, realm. And, and 
through that, I got to interview some amazing people. Uh, I got to work with Olympic athletes, uh, special forces operators. I got to talk to uh, researchers and, and academics and, and learn really sort of on one side, the theory of high performance, and then on the other side, the application. And as I was losing my fascination with being in the gym, it, it was similar to what frustrations I was just talking about, where even in that setting, you'd have people come in on Monday morning and they're saying, well, you know, Ryan, I know we have a plan and, you know, I fell off the wagon and, you know, it's Monday. I need to, uh, I need to undo the damage that I did over the weekend. And, and I started to become more fascinated with that question of why are your actions not aligned with the goals that you come in here and tell me that you want? Uh, the, the psychological side of behavior change and, and performance really started to fascinate me more than the X's and O's of strength and conditioning. I'm going to ask you to sit, to repeat that question you had for yourself, because that's a profound question. That I'm more fascinated, or, or I became fascinated with why people's actions didn't match or align with their goals. Um, and, and, and that's actually how I signed most of my books. I, I don't know if, uh, if Phil has the one that I signed for him, but I, you know, so, so the book is called fuck your feelings, but, and we can get into some of that as the discussion goes, but really what I want for people is what that quite turn that question into a statement. And I signed the books, may your actions always align with your values and goals. That's all I want for people. And, and the book is a user's manual to help people understand what's going on between our ears um, because we're not given that. We, you can, you've yeah. got a user's manual for your phone, your computer, your dishwasher, but nobody gives you one for the you know, human mind and body. And so I want people to be able to understand what's going on so that then we can start to work towards being in the driver's seat, being in control, and then eventually getting to that point of mastery. I was yeah, reading... I mean, uh, I just want to comment, Phil, real quick. I was reading the, some of the reviews of your book, and one of the complaints was <laughs> he spent the first half of the book explaining the brain to us. I didn't want any of that. I just wanted that. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, not having the context yeah. that yeah. that you just delivered, I was like, that's, I don't, I don't know. But now I get it. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. And I'm I, I want to hear all about this, Phil. So it's your show. Yeah, please, you know, please interrupt me. Well, I was just going to say, you know, uh, more so than the title of the book, even the subtitle, you know, master your mind, accomplish any goal and become a more significant human. Um, again, it's just a great, um, you know, just a great narrative for people to pay attention to, because, you know, certainly what I see over and over again, whether, you know, you're talking about, you know, the patients that I'm doing heart surgery on, or the patients that I'm trying to keep off of my operating table and prevent them, you know, from developing heart disease or prevent them from needing heart surgery, you know, over and over, we tend to focus sort of on the mechanics of things, you know, eat this, don't eat this, count this, you know, track this. Um, and we don't spend nearly enough time and effort on the mindset. And, um, you know, ultimately what I see over and over again is if the mindset isn't there, the mechanics aren't going to matter. Uh, you know, you really got to get that mindset first. 
Um, and, and, you know, for instance, that's the reason that I put in my book, the first principle of metabolic health, you know, that I tell people to focus on is thinking of your health as a system, not as a goal. Um, you know, getting that mindset right, I think is so important. Uh, so I love that, you know, your book uh, took a similar approach to all of this. You know, when you spoke at the Momentum in the Mountains, that's one of the things that really resonated with me. And I think I even told you that Steve uh, Fullerton, Stephen Summers put the event on, but Steve looked at me and, and you were talking about personal sovereignty and taking responsibility and being accountable for your own health. And, you know, Steve looked at me and he says, like, you know, that sounds like something you would say. And I was like, it does. I like this guy. So I was, you know, we, we were kind of on the same wavelength and I really enjoyed what you had to say. All right. So this is, uh, there's been many times I thought I've wished we were doing a live stream, but this is the time when, when, oh my God, I, I so wish this was live so we could have the folks. You're going to hear that question you posed. Why don't your actions align with your stated goals? The, the, the lines would be lighting up right now. So I've got to kind of anticipate some of the questions that people in recording listening to the recording you're going to ask. So the first thing I want to ask is expand on, on, on that question or, or more accurately uh, unpack that. What, what are the, are the, the obstacles? What, what's going on between our ears that causes us to act in ways inconsistent with our stated goals? (laughs) That phrase is is perfect, right? Acting in ways that are inconsistent with our stated goals. So I'm going to explain a little bit about where the title came from uh, and get into some of the, he explained how the brain works complaints. Um, (laughs) And uh, so the the title, I actually tried very hard to come up with a different title. We we had multiple working titles, but it just, it kept coming back to this one for three reasons. One, it's self-talk. I say it to myself. Two, it, it's great marketing. It, it if is. you are walking, if, 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 and look, you got to sell books, right? If, if nobody reads it, it doesn't matter what's in it. It's, you know, kind of like what Phil said with the mechanics. If, if you're not doing it, it doesn't matter how great the mechanics are. And so I've got to get you to stop scrolling on Amazon, or I've got to get you to stop walking in a bookstore and, and, and then you pick it up. Okay. Now the subtitle, okay, you're interested and you're going to read it, right? Well, and the third reason is the answer to your question. The thing that really gets in the way of acting congruently with our goals and values are our feelings. And so if we get into some of this wow. research, huh. there, there's a cognitive uh, behavioral, I forget his, his full title, um, Antonio Damasio is a guy's name, um, super smart guy, uh, studies the brain, had a patient who had a tumor on the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. And when the tumor was removed, he lost the ability to make simple decisions. And so this was the patient that led Damasio to his discovery that a large percentage of our feelings, or I'm sorry, a large percentage of our decisions are made based on how we feel in that given moment. So this, this patient, Elliot, was unable to decide, you know, where we want to go for lunch or what he wanted to wear that day. Um, and, and the number that Demacio gives is 95%. So 95% of our decisions are made based on how we feel in that moment. And I've had people challenge that and they say, well, it's marketing. 95, how do you know? 
Right. And, and it's, you know, that's an N equals one. Well, look, nah. it could be 80, it could be 85, it could be 75. The bottom line is an overwhelming majority of our decisions are made based on how we feel right then. And so if, if we take that and we overlay that onto large goals, life goals, the bigger the goal, the longer it's going to take to realize that goal, right? And that means the bigger the timeline, the more micro decisions along the way that have to go right, that have to be aligned with the thing that you're saying. Um, you know, I, I always use the example of an Olympic athlete because the Olympic Games only occur every four years. And you don't just say, hey, you know, I'm going to compete in the next Olympics, right? Most Olympic athletes start at 8, 10, 12, you know, very young age, and they'll train for five, 10 years before their first games. And if they're lucky, like if you're a Michael Phelps, you get to, what was it, four or five? Let's call it five. That's 20 years as an Olympian, plus 10 years of training before you got there. That's 30 years of showing up every day and doing the workouts, eating the foods. And everybody sees his diet. They're like, oh, I'd love to be able to eat 10,000 calories a day. Trust me, you wouldn't. I have to eat 4,000 calories a day and it's a pain in the butt, right? You don't want to eat that many. Um, and so again, like it's, but, it's all but, of those, things. but you do that because you eat the 4,000 calories. That's a pain in the butt because it's consistent with do what I need to do goals yeah. that you have. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so again, just, just kind of coming back to how feelings drive our decisions. The next step in this is understanding. So, okay. If, if, if a majority of our feelings, you know, I'm, I'm trained as a scientist. I think like a scientist. So I read that. I find that out. Okay. Well, this is the thing that's driving a majority of our decisions. Well, well, what really are feelings? I mean, you think, you know, we think we know we could give examples of feelings, but what was really fascinating to, to learn was that neuroscience defines feelings as a mental experience of a physiological state, mental experience of a physiological state. Well, yep. as we've already established, I come from uh, a background in health and, and wellness and fitness. I know how to change my physiological state instantly, right? So right away, we've got a clue. If you can change your physiology, you can change your mental experience. So if I put 30 seconds on the clock and say, you guys have to do as many burpees as you can in 30 seconds, your physiology will be different in 30 seconds. And your mental state will also be different. Now I can guarantee you that. <laughs> right. And, and that's that I always use. I mean, look, when, when we, when we give examples, we try to go to an extreme to make the point. Right. But the thing to take away from that is movement is something that can change physiology and it can help us shift our states. Right. And so part of the book is explaining, you know, the, these uh, tools in the toolbox that we can use to shift our state in the acute moment. Uh, I think of, of states as weather and then traits. These are long-term, you know, characteristics, qualities of a person like climate, right? And so if we can shift our, there, there are certain, uh, certain tools, something like meditation, for example, that can be a state shifter acutely, but also chronically has a positive impact on the brain, right? We know that people who meditate for their entire life are spared age-related temporal mass loss above certain ages, right? So these are things that we're, we're looking for 
tools that both shift state and positively impact traits. Um, not just saying, oh, hey, let me chug a Red Bull and change my state. <laughs> Phil, yeah, very, you better jump very in here because I'm going to I'm going to just dominate the questions. Otherwise. <laughs> so, you know, uh, do you think that there are uh, feelings uh, or some feelings, I guess, more powerful or more important than others? And, you know, I'm certainly mm. thinking around uh, fear. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, what I find over and over again is, you know, one of the big reasons that people don't succeed is because of fear. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting that sometimes they're afraid of failing and other times they're afraid of succeeding. Uh, and mm -hmm. both can certainly get in the way of uh, of success. Um, but I'm, I would love to hear your perspective on, you know, are there some feelings um, that I guess are more of a barrier uh, than other sure. feelings. Sure. And before we get into specific feelings, I think it's worth taking a step back and just you know throwing that disclaimer in that you know feelings aren't inherently bad, right? Feelings have survived evolution uh, because they serve a purpose, right? It's it's a it's a dashboard light. It's it's saying, hey, put your attention over here. There's something going on. Uh, the problem is it's a self-regulating system. And as we've seen, any self-regulating system has problems not overstepping its bounds. So what we want to do is we want to bring awareness okay, to you're our have feelings. To, you're going to have to open that one up. I, it's a self-regulating system, and that causes problems. Please unpack that for me. Well, let's, let's just we'll change the context of the conversation, right? And let's yeah. say the government was entirely self-regulating, and they didn't have to answer to anybody. They just do whatever they want. Okay. And so what you're saying is that that the emotional system, when left to itself, uh, is gonna is gonna drive off into the ditch now and then, and with possibly catastrophic results. And it needs an external system to and that's external right. regulation. Okay. And so that's that's the prefrontal cortex, right? That's that's the newer, more evolved portion of the brain. So we want the prefrontal cortex to be running the show, not the limbic system right? The, the old, the lizard brain. Um, and so I'm, that's also in the book. That's part of the, where sure. I explain the brain. Um, but to, to Phil's question, you, you're absolutely right. I think fear shows up more than any other emotion as one that long-term can hold people back or, or negatively impact, um, our ability to pursue the things that we say we want or think we want. Um, I think in an acute setting, th th there's an old marketing adage that people will either move towards pleasure or away from pain, right? And in the moment, most people will choose what they want right then more than what they want most. And so if you are mm. tired, if you've had a really long day, if, if you're drained, if it's been a tough week and you come home on Thursday night, the easiest thing to do is lay on the couch, put on the TV, turn off your brain, scroll on social media, eat the easiest thing, right? The, the hardest thing to do is to not turn on the TV to 
cook a healthy meal, to food prep for the next day, to, to do all those things that we really don't want to do. Right. Um, and so that's just one example, but, you know, I think the, the, I don't want to say excuses, but the, the things that pop up as hurdles or adversity are, you know, time management. And that's where, again, time management is a big part of the book, teaching people how to manage their time, um, time management, energy, uh, you know, if people aren't sleeping, then, you know, they're, they don't have the energy. And so there's a lot of things that factor into this, but it really kind of does come down to the way we started this. And, and like you said, Phil, if, if that mindset isn't there, if, if the commitment to yourself, the commitment to your standards and your goals isn't there, then it's really easy to choose what we want right now, as opposed to what we want most. Okay. True stories time. Give us a, a, an illustration from your own life of when you recognized that your behavior was inconsistent with your stated goals and the revelation that you had about what was going on inside that allowed you to, to, to change that, that behavior. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a good one. You know, I, I've, I mean, I wrote this book in 2017. So I think for the last five years, I've been practicing awareness to a level where I, I can generally catch myself in the moment. So of late, what it looks like is I don't want to do this, or I don't feel like doing this right now. But I know if I don't do it right now, then I won't have what I need in order to succeed tomorrow. And I can't tolerate that. I won't put up with that. I've got to get it done. So I'm going to do it. I want to make sure I hear what you're saying. The guy who wrote the book finished it five years ago, undoubtedly had been working on this for, for quite some time prior to that, has been practicing this for years, still deals with every day, regular basis, a daily basis. I don't want to. Yeah. Every day. So this isn't a magic bullet. This is, this is the magic bullet is the awareness, right? It's catching yourself in the moment, right? Awareness creates choice. And in that moment, we have a Mm. choice. Do I, do I want to continue letting my feelings run the show? So good. Or do I want to make an alternative decision? Do I want to choose aligned with goals and values? My wife regularly will say when we're, we're discussing things that we want to accomplish. And we just had a conversation with a friend last night who's in a sticky situation. And she regularly says, more than doers, we are deciders. Mm-hmm. And I hear the echoes of the same thing in what you just said. Once once we can we can catch ourselves at the decision point, mm-hmm. then choosing inexorably leads to the behavior. That's good. That's really good. This is deep. This is not at all like what I expected, <laughs> Ryan. I, I did a little bit of research on you, and I see ex-model, bodybuilder, uh, gym owner, and I'm thinking. Okay, we got a meathead coming on. All right, we hadn't had a meathead in a while. Why not? 
So I'm not your typical meathead. <laughs> oh. this, this meathead goes deep. <laughs> okay. So, go ahead, Jack. I want to go back to Phil's initial question about the, the emotions that end up being hurdles. Um, my, my day gig is I'm a marketing consultant. And so I've spent a ton of time um, digging into the neurology of behavior from a marketing standpoint. And I know that I wrote an article here in the last month or so that where I talk about the paradox of dissatisfaction. Satisfaction is mediated by serotonin. Um, happiness, which is not the same thing neurochemically as satisfaction, is mediated by dopamine. As it turns out, dopamine is a far more enjoyable experience than serotonin. Uh, the way I illustrate that is is the dopamine experience, which is what what we really call happiness. You can trigger that with a shot with cocaine. Cocaine. It, it, triggers the dopamine system. And to compare that with serotonin, nobody ever robbed a liquor store to feed a serotonin habit. Um, so those are the positive sides. Phil's talking about what are the negative emotions? And I'm thinking about fear. I, I'm assuming fear is most likely mediated by cortisol, which is a, a hell of a drug if you've got a if you've got problems that need to be solved and a hell of a corrosive drug if if misused, can you dig into some of that? I, this may be too much, but can you dig into some of that, the neurochemical basis of these, these negative emotions and what happens in our bodies mm -hmm. under the influence of these neurochemicals? Sure. So, uh, you know, that, that's a really interesting perspective through which to look at certain emotions and yeah, especially fear in my experience, the fear that I help people work with deal with isn't acute. It's chronic and it's more the narrative in their head. It's more of the internal dialogue. It's more of conditioning previous life experiences uh, self-esteem, self-confidence, self-worth. Um, it, it's, it's more of a, uh, it's almost like a, a therapy session. Like yeah. we, it gets pretty close to, you know, sitting on the couch and, and kind of delving into why do we think like this? Why is this our narrative? You know, very careful of the stories that we tell ourselves. I, I do think in an acute setting, especially in the way that neurochemicals would be involved, fear is going to be related to cortisol. I mean, it, it wouldn't, I don't know that it would be directly, I think maybe Phil can, can double check this for me, but you know, one of the stories I always tell um, when I give that disclaimer on, in, a, in a speech about feeling surviving evolution and, and being very valuable um, when I explain the difference between the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex, the limbic system is that lizard brain. It is always, always, always faster than the prefrontal cortex. That's the survival mechanism. Yeah. So if we are walking down a path in the woods and you see a snake, what's the first thing you do? If I'm right next to you, you see the snake, but I don't. What's the 
First thing you do. Jump. Okay. Are you worried about me at all? Not in the slightest. (laughs) If you were, what would be your first move? To to stop you. Yes. Throw my arm out and say, whoa. the, the, yep, the, the Seinfeld stops short, right? The arm goes out in front of the other person. Why is there a physical movement before language? Uh, my guess is that the physical, the physical behavior is mediated by a more ancient uh, part of the brain than, than the language part of our brain. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so, you know, that's why we always, the arm goes out and then it's stop snake. So that's very beneficial in an acute setting, in a life-saving situation. Now, when you walk past uh, a pizza stand on New York City streets and you smell pizza, or you walk past the bakery at Whole Foods and you smell cookies, the same thing happens. The limbic system responds first. Oh my God, that smells good. Oh man, I want some of that. Then the prefrontal cortex kicks in and says, oh, but I'm not eating gluten. Oh, I'm on a diet. Oh, I shouldn't do that. Now we start to get into the narrative, right? Folks really struggle with that difference. If we're not aware that we have these two systems, that we're always, always going to have those two reactions, one before the other, right? Mm. If you don't know that, you immediately associate or or assign guilt, shame to the second, the 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 second reaction being second instead of being the first reaction. What's wrong with me? Why why do I do this? And so now that's where that guilt and that shame cycle comes in, right? And so, you know, years of that or some of the other things that, that really pop up are, you know, when, when you asked me the question earlier and I said, hey, you know, I don't feel like doing food prep or I don't feel like going to the gym, right? If I skip that today, maybe nobody else knows, but I know. And that starts to erode my self-confidence right? What it really does is it erodes my trust in myself, Yeah, right? The ability to trust ourselves is kind of the same thing as self-confidence. A lot of people come to me and they say, Hey, I want to be more confident. I want more self-confidence. Understanding that the way we build self-confidence is the same way that we would build trust in somebody else. If I want you to trust me, I need to follow through on some things. I need to tell you I'm going to do some things. I need to show up. I need to do what I say I'm going to do, right? So if we fail to do that for ourselves, we begin to erode our trust, our self-confidence, right? Our trust in ourselves, our self-confidence. The more that happens, the more that spirals, right? And so to your question about fear, I've found, again, this has been my experience that a majority of the people I work with, it's more of the chronic narrative internal dialogue stuff not the, you know, oh shit, there's a snake. I've got adrenaline and then epinephrine and then cortisol and all that neurochemical stuff. So I'm guessing, so, I'm sorry, Phil. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to ask how, how pliable you think that is. Um, how, you know, what capacity do people have to change? Uh, you know, it, can yeah. they, can you really train yourself on that, I guess? Because as you said, this is, you know, limbic system stuff that we're dealing with. This is millions right. of years of evolution. Um, you know, how much control do we ultimately have over it? Well, and, and so the work is not in changing the limbic system. The work is in the awareness, 
right? It's, it's understanding that that is how the limbic system works. Like you said, it's got millions of years of, of evolution. That's how we're wired. So it's once we understand that, hey, we're wired to do that, that's normal. It's natural. There's nothing wrong with that. Now we start to get into the assigning meaning portion of it, right? And that's very pliable. That's neuroplasticity, right? We, we start to, again, it's, it's awareness. You bring awareness to that thing that is happening. And then you just make a choice. Hey, do I want to continue to do it the way that I've always done it? Or do I want to look for a more, uh, so, so we always try to use developmental phrasing. So instead of saying like good, bad, or better or worse, like let's, let's look for a, a way of doing this that, that better serves my goals and values, right? How, you know, instead of saying, is a potato good or bad, how can a potato be used or how can we fit potatoes into, you know, our plan, right? Uh, less of like that binary blanket statement thinking and more of the developmental phrasing. Um, but, but to your question, the, the, the limbic system, that lizard brain stuff, we're not going to change that. We just have to bring awareness. We have to understand that that's how it works, bring an awareness to that. And then the other side is extremely pliable, extremely neuroplastic. And, and with enough awareness and enough work, I think anybody can accomplish that or achieve that. And I think in extreme cases where you've got, you know, extreme trauma, really horrible events, you're going to need to work through that with a professional, um, you know, and, and there you know, may be more steps to that than, you know, what we're talking about here. Okay. So uh, it occurs to me that, this this whole idea of the of recognizing that we've basically got these two, two these sections of our brain that are are uh, developed over different time periods, and first of all, that's an extremely powerful concept, uh, and I think it's tremendously powerful to just accept, hey. My lizard brain is doing exactly what it's supposed to do all the time. And I have the ability to override those instinctive visceral reactions if they do not serve my long-term purposes. I love that whole concept. Now, that leads naturally to this problem that anybody who's worked with trying to become more self-aware faces is there's all kinds of shit that's going on that we're just not aware of. And oftentimes it takes a hammer between the eyes to go, Oh, look, look at how I'm thinking. So the question that I've got that's, that's coming up through all this verbiage is this, do you have a method or a technique or a practice to help us individually kind of wake up out of that darkness that, that we're in and recognize what are the signs and symptoms that there's something going on where we're making a, a an unconscious choice when we need to be making a conscious choice. Does that make sense? Is that question? Yeah, I think I know where you're going with that. I, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I mean, first of all, everybody's, stuff is so unique and, and varied that it's, it's almost impossible to give a, you know, a, a prescription that works for everyone. Yeah. But 
I, I, and I, I know this is going to sound like I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but it really comes down to awareness. And so the, the practice is learning how to sort of assume this witness perspective, um, start to think about, you know, how are other people seeing me? How am I moving through the world? How am I impacting others? Um, you know, even asking that question, are my actions aligned with my goals? If we can take that witness or objective viewpoint, uh, think about being in an airplane, right? You're 30,000 30, feet up and you look down, everything looks different, right? So if we can have that viewpoint of ourselves and audit our actions, uh, one of the things I always tell people is, you know, if, if, if I followed you around, if I, if I said, you know, hey, Jack, I'm going to come to your house and, and I want you to write down your goals and your values, and then I'm going to follow you around for six weeks. And you haven't shown me those goals and values, right? It's the old pick a card, any mm. card trick. You write them down and hide them, put them in your pocket, whatever. I don't see them. I follow you around for six weeks and I audit your actions and how you spend your time. And based on what I see, I write down what I think your goals and values are. Is my list going to match your list? And if, if your actions are aligned, you know, if you're choosing to spend your time in a way that is congruent with those things, chances are, I mean, maybe I use a different word, but chances are right. I'm going to be pretty close, right? And so I think that just little mental exercises like that where we can shift our perspective. And, and again, it brings more awareness to how we're doing these things. How big a problem That's do you good. think it is uh, that people may not even, I guess, know their goals? For real, you know, <laughs> yeah. like oftentimes they'll say my goal is, you know, whatever. Uh, but, you know, that's not really their goal. They're just sort of saying mm -hmm. that or they're telling themselves that, you know, mm -hmm. even, you know, when it comes to health, you know, everyone says they want to stay off my operating table. But, you know, how many people actually want to, you know, stay off my operating table and and are you know, kind of uh, behaving uh, or taking action in such a manner. You know, I, I was trying to flip through the book. I, there's a statistic in the book, and I don't remember um, the, the numbers, but to your point, very few people set and achieve goals. I think the number is 6%. And the way that that, that works out is I think only 30% of people actually set goals and then 20% achieve the goals that they oh, set. That 30, yeah. Right. So 20% of 30 ends up being like 6% of the total population, right? So, um, and if that's wrong, then it's the other way around. But it, it's it's about a quarter, right? And so the the values thing is is very intriguing to me too. When I go to... Uh, an organization or a team, and I'm working with them, you know, I'll have everybody, I'll say, raise your hand if you can tell me the core values of this organization or this company. Most people's hands go up. I'll say, okay, cool. Leave them in the air if you can tell me your core values as an individual. Hands go down. Usually one, two, maybe three people, depending on the size of the room. It's single digit percentages where folks have thought about who they want to be, how they want to be, how they want to move through the world, what they want their legacy to be. 
um, you know, other cues that I'll give people for questions. Uh, you know, if people are talking about you, what are the words that you would want them to use to describe you? Right. Um, that's kind of how we get to what our values are. Um, and if we haven't figured those out, if we haven't identified and defined those, just like with goals, it's it's hard for me to feel like you could have direction in life without knowing who you are and who you want to be, how you want to be. Uh, and goals come kind of secondary to that, right? So we kind of have a, a loose trajectory and then it's, okay, here's the specific goal and here's another goal. Uh, and then we start moving in that direction. We start working towards that. Um, and, and again, without that, I mean, you're, you might as well just be a raft in the middle of the ocean with, you know, no map and no sail. This is not at all what I thought this conversation was going to be. This is fantastic. So this may take us a little bit um, astray, but it's, it's something I've been chewing on for a long time. Um, do you see, I, I'm assuming you work with clients of all ages. Yes. Do you see a generational difference in, a, in approaches to consciousness? In other words, are old farts like me more <laughs> likely to be aware of X, whereas 20-somethings are more likely to be aware of Y? Or is this like a universal human condition at least in terms of generations? It's a really intriguing question. Um, you know, when it comes to consciousness, I think folks who are into it, it's, it's one of those things where it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from or, or how old you are. Consciousness is one of those things that it's, it's just, it's consciousness, right? It's, it is a little out there. It is a little deep, heavy, woo-woo. Um, I love it. We've got a woo-woo meathead. This is just, that's going to be the title. Ryan Muncie, woo-woo meathead. I love it. My wife is going to love this one. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know that the approaches to or the thoughts around consciousness are different based on generation. I, I think a lot of the... Um, you're, not, you're not getting a different quality of pushback if you've got a 20 something versus a 60 something i guess that's what i'm asking in terms of this coaching to hey be aware wake up be conscious no i think i think when people come to me they're ready and and they want okay. what we're going to work on and and yeah. i mean we're, we're pretty clear up front you know hey like you know we're, we're going to Sure, we can we can tweak your diet. We can optimize your um, you know your, your workout plan, and and we'll work on you know time management. But you know the, the the internal dialogue, the narrative, the you know why are you not training your people the way you need to train them? If you're a CEO, those types of things are. I mean, people are ready for that. Otherwise, I don't think they're coming to me. So I, I, there's not really pushback there. Um, so what I'm hearing is that is that the 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 techniques or the path or the tools or whatever you want to call it that that you are advocating have application far beyond the merely physical. 
far beyond mm -hmm. our our mm -hmm. physical health and well-being mm -hmm. they much broader absolutely phil what was yeah. the moment for you where you were you were suddenly aware i i know your story a little bit because we've talked for quite a bit but where this where the lights came on for you the consciousness that you were aware that your your behavior was inconsistent with your stated goals and can, can you think back through that and walk through that that process of becoming aware of it yeah i mean i i think it does ultimately come back to uh you know the intentionality and it was only you know i i had always i guess told myself you know that i didn't want to be obese that i wanted to uh you know be healthier but uh i wasn't uh i wasn't truly i guess uh committed to that and i wasn't uh you know my actions weren't in line with uh what i was saying ultimately because um you know while i would maybe pay a little better attention to my diet and and you know do a little bit more exercise at times um you know i was never fully committed to that um and it was only uh, you know i, I mean of course you know i i talk about the the sort of uh seminal event maybe you know was uh, hearing you know gary Taub's talk uh, but what I really realize in retrospect is, you know, it wasn't so much that I happened to hear Gary Taub's talk. It was I heard Gary talk at a time when I was truly ready for change, uh, truly, I think, committed to that change, um, you know, recognizing that, um, you know, um, I was not serving my patients. I was not serving my family. Um, you know, those are the things that uh, ultimately, I think, made me open to hearing what Gary was saying. Um, and, you know, one of the things I realized in working with people, um, you know, uh, now is that if they're not ready to hear it, you're, you're not going to change their mind. Um, wow. You know, they have to be ready to hear it. And so, you know, probably very much similar to the way that, you know, the people that find Ryan uh, and start working with Ryan, you know, they have to be ready. You know, it, it doesn't just happen sort of by accident uh, that you, you know, you come across Ryan. And in, in a similar way, you know, the people that I work with uh, in, in my practice um, find me. Um, so I think there's something, uh, you know, very much to be said about that. Um, but ultimately, you know, I always come back to this intentionality piece. You know, what I have come to realize is that so many people are going through life and they are just sort of floating on that raft, like you were talking about, Ryan. Uh, and it's only certain people uh, who are really, you know, steering their own raft, uh, so to speak, and and truly, you know, taking control of their lives and having that sovereignty, you know, that I talked about um, at the conference, um, that I think ultimately ends up being the key to success. Yeah, it, it's kind of a, it's a real red pill, uh, blue pill moment there. And, uh, you know, I guess to to Jack's question before, I mean, I think the, the folks that have found me, the folks that find you are, are those that, you know, have, have taken the red pill have said you know hey i, I want to be in control and you know I, I want to 
turn over every stone possible to, you know, optimize everything and, and learn this and learn that. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's fascinating to me to see the difference, um, you know, in those that are kind of on that raft and, and adrift versus those that are kind of on a path and, you know, are going somewhere. So the, the takeaway from this last three minutes is if you're listening to this podcast, congratulations, you're, you've already self-selected uh, as a, a member of an elite crew. And uh, I'm only being about half kidding as I say this, because there is an el- there's definitely an element of truth to that. Okay, Ryan, um, we generally try not to drag these things on forever. I would love to ask you many more questions about this whole uh, mechanism of consciousness, decision-making, um, feelings versus goals. Uh, my suspicion well, is that, oh, go. I was just going to say, I mean, I'd be glad to come back and we can do it live and have people ask questions. Oh, God. We, Phil, we are, it's about time we started doing live streams. It really is. I think we're, I think we're getting, we're ready for that. And I think okay. Ryan would be a great one to to uh i want to get i want to get another i want to get another one of our meatheads vinnie tortorich because i think if we had did those back to back we might break the internet okay um ryan how do folks uh, uh remind us the name of your book and how do folks find it the book is called fuck your feelings it is available on amazon and audible uh kind of the central hub for what i do is my website ryanmuncie.com um, I'm most active on Instagram for social media. I have a love hate relationship with it, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, and then my podcast is the better human project. And so Phil's been on there. Maybe Jack will get you on there too. Uh, I would come on as a subject, not as an object, um, or something, whatever the, I'm the one who needs help. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, as always, the contact information for our guest, Ryan Muncy, will be available on the show notes. Remember, look for the title, The Woo Woo Meathead. That, y- you can make that the title of your biography, by the way. Okay. Thank you. The Woo Woo ro- ro- Royalties to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just live with the satisfaction of knowing that we, we made it all happen here. Phil, okay. any last words before we sign off for the day? Um, another great uh, conversation and uh, ultimately yeah I hope that we are inspiring the people like you said who you know have found this podcast um, to uh, you know be more intentional to uh, improve their lives uh, to become you know just to Mm -hmm. become a more uh, significant human as I I think uh, Ryan put it uh, in his uh, in his book subtitle Enough said. Well, Phil, um, this one surprised the hell out of me. It was fantastic. I was really dreading it. And it's turned out to be (laughs) so good. I love the honesty. (laughs) For Philip Ovadia and Ryan Muncy, I'm Jack Heald. This Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. Follow Dr. Phil. Yes, our Dr. Phil on Twitter at iFixHearts. His website is iFixHearts.co. I would encourage you to check that out and find out where you're. He's got a test on there where you can kind of evaluate yourself for your your own metabolic health. And then uh, check out his his practice, his online practice at OvadiaHeartHealth.com. 
And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time and hopefully live on a, on the uh, live stream here pretty soon. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Avadia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com slash talk.